I wanted to create a company kind of like Nutrisystem, but for people who wanted to gain weight. Whole food ingredients. We made it to the semifinals. I learned a lot in that process. We weren't entirely convinced ourselves. So while I was in school, I studied finance and physics. Wouldn't regret trying to double major in something and failing because I, at least I knew I went for it. Technical name for them are dichroic filters, but basically there's a way to apply this to the solar energy industry. Him and I ended up becoming business partners. We competed in the next year uh, and we, we actually didn't get selected at all for uh, even being semi-finalists. They don't use all of the energy that hits them from, from the sun. Double the output of the solar farm to, to even be semi-finalists and we found it very discouraging. The criticism and feedback we ultimately got was you know legitimate. And so we kind of like, we went back to the drawing board. We built a prototype. We kind demonstrated that our technology actually works. For the most part, it was enough for us to really uh, keep going and start running with our idea. So first place was 30,000. We ended up just deciding to put it on the back burner. Caught this bug of entrepreneurship. And when you when you make something and you see it in front of you, you realize like, wow, this has never existed in like the entire history of humanity. That originally was sparked in college and it resurfaced uh, a few years down the line. It's found my like love for learning. Why don't they capture these lectures? I think they're in the business of accreditation. Uh, and not necessarily in just teaching. MOOC, yeah, so Massive Open Online Course. Uh, massive. So if somebody just recorded a talk and just sent it out to everybody. Like, what benefit does physically being in person have? Being in person is uh, shows mutual sacrifice. People, the, the people who you're closest to end up like teaching you the most. Ed, ed tech should be the means by which we empower great educators everywhere. What we should be creating is some sort of platform that kind of levels the playing field. Professors are, are rewarded for their commitment to education. With our platform, you just go in and you learn those bits and pieces of information that, that you uh, need or are most relevant to you. Like natural language processing and machine learning. Um, but we also have a crowdsource model where users can label specific segments within the lecture. You know, I could try and find somebody to code this for me, uh, or I can learn how to code myself. It's like a six month process of you know, 80 to 100 hours a week of just like reading textbooks and coding. Now, co-founder was actually one of my coaches. Started to connect. We were both incredibly open-minded, uh, and we just love talking about really, you know, like deep, more fundamental things. So the clouds are like, oh yeah, this is what we're gonna do. This is gonna be awesome. I met being a, a seasoned developer. He was like, oh yeah, that's like great. But knowing how much work yeah. is actually involved, indeed. Ended up filing for a corporation uh, about a year. Advisors and. Uh, business professionals who are really guiding us through this problem. My old or former professors uh, have been using this in their classroom. Fordham has kind of been our first um, yes that we've gotten from a university. And it's dumb money is somebody who's willing to give you money for your startup doesn't quite understand your space exactly. and isn't going to be providing consistent advice on what you should do. Prove your idea, show that people actually want it and do it manually if you have to. Then once you understand that process, you can think about how are you going to automate it. Belief that you can solve the world's biggest problems from just a keyboard. Uh -huh. um, but um, what I'm realizing is that not all problems are technical problems. He also moved in with me. Yeah. So um, Matt and I have been living together for, I guess, over over a year. He's a content in entrepreneurship, business, finance, astronomy, history. Um, and then we also have some curated playlists. Knowledgein.com, so knowledge. And then drop the E at the end, I-N-E. I'd also love to hear your thoughts. You can send me an email. Um, you can find my contact info on the website. Welcome to Startup Hunter, also streaming on YouTube. I look at startups that have made it, that are making it, or that have failed, and sometimes you do a post-mortem. I'm here with Christian Belevsky of Knowledgen, which is sort of like a Spotify for university lectures. 
and Christian is actually a sort of seasoned entrepreneur. So let's start from the beginning. Sure. Where were you born? Uh, I was born in northern New Jersey, uh, a town called Ridgewood, but I, I grew up in um, yeah, Haldon, uh, North Haldon, Wayne, a few different places. Now, what I'm very curious about entrepreneurs is what did your parents do? Uh, so my dad was a computer programmer. Uh, he got me interested in uh, science and uh, uh, astronomy, especially at an early age. So my mom went to school for economics. Um, she moved to the U.S. when she was 30 uh, from Europe. And uh, growing up, she mostly just uh, stayed at home and took care of me and my older brother. So neither of your parents were entrepreneurs? Um, uh, so not quite. Yeah. So um, what was the first entrepreneurial thing that you did? Did you have a paper route? Did you sell lemonade, something like that? Um, not quite. I, I, I don't think I really hit my entrepreneurial stride until until I went to college. Interesting. Uh, that's really kind of when I discovered that this is something that I want to do. Um, but even though my immediate family wasn't, um, weren't entrepreneurs, uh, my, two of my uncles are both, uh, both own their own business. My one uncle owns a photography studio. Um, and my other uncle owns um, a business in uh, textile printing. Interesting. So did you ever like hang out in their businesses and learn some things? Uh, Every now and then, but uh, for the most part, um, not not really. So you were saying you got to college and you started getting entrepreneurial. What what was the first thing that you tried? Uh, the first thing that I tried. So the, the school that I went to, the College of New Jersey, uh, they have this like business plan competition. Basically, it's designed to encourage um, students who have ideas for startups and businesses to create you know, a well-thought-out business plan and um, try and create a strategy around how to execute it. There, uh, was there a money prize? There was, yeah. So it started out, I think, at like something, something around $12,000, and then um, uh, I ended up winning it maybe three years later, uh, and the, the total prize money was $50,000. So it increased significantly. But uh, the first idea that I had while I was in college, so I was like really into uh, uh, like fitness and exercise science, and uh, I wanted to create a company kind of like Nutrisystem, but for people who wanted to gain weight, which is kind of a, a little odd, but I found that a lot of athletes, um, people who are training pretty hard, nutrition is a really important part of their... Like Michael Phelps with his 15 pizzas. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but we wanted it, instead of being pizza, to be, you know, kind of whole whole food ingredients. Um, uh, yeah, and so the basic idea was we would um, figure out what is the optimal amount of food and um, calories that a person needs to eat, and then we would create an entire kind of meal plan for them as well as ship them the raw ingredients to that food. So, so how did that work out? Um, we made it to the semifinals, uh, and it ultimately we, we didn't get selected for the, the, the final round. Um, which, you know, considering it was, it was fine. Uh, I learned a lot in that process and uh, then came back the next year with um, uh, the solar, ener uh, solar energy technology idea. And before we get to that, sure. I'm just curious, why didn't you go and try, did you try to take that idea to the market, you know, just to the public? Um, I, I think we're, we're uh, it was something that we're, um, just kind of playing the field with. We're, we're really trying to see if, if it was something 
we could see ourselves doing. Um, so we, we weren't entirely convinced ourselves. Um, we're, this was a process of like discovery. Uh, we've done our market research. We uh, saw that there could be a need, but we also knew that uh, it all lies in the execution. And in that process of you know, writing the business plan and presenting it, we're um, learning for ourselves if it was something that we really wanted to do. And, and uh, it just turned out that wasn't really the case. Okay, so you made a decision, we're not gonna pursue this, and you come back the next year um, that, with, with a solar energy idea. Yeah. So uh, while I was in school, I studied... Uh, so while I was in school, I studied finance and physics. Um, I initially just started out as like a, a business major. And while I was in, in classes, I really started to gravitate towards numbers and, and uh, kind of fell in love with um, with learning and I kind of chose business as a safe option you know you can do almost anything with business and uh, but I wanted to do something more and so I had um, extra space in my in my uh, schedule over the next couple of years and so I decided to uh, see what kind of other programs are and I always loved physics growing up it was mm -hmm. just something that I had uh, such a passion for and I, you know I kind of just decided why not go for it like I knew that um, uh, I would regret never trying to go for it, but I wouldn't regret trying to go for uh, studying something more than, than just finance. Like, I wouldn't regret trying to double major in something and failing, because I, at least I knew I went for it. Well, that's fantastic. I'm really glad you did. Yeah, and then when, um, and then I remember after that, like being in some of my physics classes, I remember smiling while taking notes because I was just so fascinated, so interested in the subject material. and. Um, and then while I was doing research in one of my classes, uh, for actually it was independent research, um, it, I, I came across these um, cool types of, of materials. Um, the technical name for them are dichroic filters, but basically they're, they're mirrors that reflect specific colors. Mm -hmm. And um, solar energy is something that's always been fascinating to me. And, and I began thinking about if there's a way to apply this to the solar energy industry. And now, what were these mirrors used for before? Uh, you, 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 and, and I'm sort of yeah. spilling the beans here, but sure. what, were the, how, what were these mirrors used for before? They were used to isolate specific wavelengths of like laser light. Uh -huh. uh, so like if you needed 532 nanometer, uh, like uh, a laser. What like, is that, green, orange? I, I believe it's green. It's, um, don't quote me on it, but I, I think like if you need a very specific color of light for uh, a, a laboratory experiment, you can use these mirrors to, to isolate that. Yeah. Um, and so we began thinking like, can we apply this? Or I began kind of thinking, can I apply, can we apply this to uh, a separate field? And uh, I was talking with one of my friends at the time, um, Nick, who, who him and I ended up becoming business partners because we both had a lot of different ideas and we found that we had overlapping ideas in solar energy and then we started collaborating and we kind of took this like initial seed and really made it into something tangible. Uh, now, was this in the business competition? Did you actually put something together for that? So we did, yeah. We, we competed in the next year, uh, and we, we actually didn't get selected at all for uh, even being semi-finalists. Wow, uh, we were, again? Yeah, so we were, t there's technically six, six teams that get selected for the semi to be semi-finalists, and we were number seven, which yeah. was kind of a hard pill for us to swallow because we really felt like, you know, we're onto something here, our technology is legitimate, like we really want to do this. And um, so, what was the concept? Sure. So you have this—you you have this material that splits 
splits light. Yeah. You're thinking you can apply it to solar. What was your concept? Yeah, so the basic idea was that solar panels, um, the the, they don't use all of the energy that hits them from from the sun. Uh, you they're can, inefficient. They're inefficient, and they, they work best with certain colors, and those colors tend to be visible light. But a lot of energy that comes from the sun is in infrared and ultraviolet. So our idea was, is there a way to separate the infrared and the ultraviolet from the, the visible light, uh, and then kind of harness them in different ways? And so that's what we ended up uh, designing and building. Um, and so our system, um, was uh, designed for large-scale utility uh, farms, solar farms that are like like out in the desert um, with like thousands of solar panels, and it is a system designed to uh, almost double the output of the solar farm while uh, only increasing the cost by like uh, like seventy percent, something along those lines, and. So that's kind of on a high level, and there's other other benefits to it with like energy storage and that sort of thing. But at a high level, that's um, that's what no. it was. And so, oh, I'm so, sorry. Uh, and so this is the idea that we presented in our business plan competition, and we ultimately didn't get selected to, to even be semifinalists, and we found it very discouraging, um, knowing we put in so much work. We're really serious about this, and uh, it, it was a tough pill for us to swallow, but. Um, the, the, the criticism and feedback we ultimately got was, you know, legitimate and um, it was something like, it was thing, like things that we haven't considered, our financials weren't that great, our projections at least. And, um, and so we kind of like, we went back to the drawing board uh, and we, we started the whole process over again. Uh -huh. um, and so then we, we went and competed the, the third year. Okay, uh, so a whole year goes by. Yeah. Now tell me in that year, like what are you doing? Are you prototyping, are you? Yeah, so uh, we, we built a prototype. We kind of demonstrated that our technology actually works. And how, uh, did you, how did you actually prove that? Did you say like, this is how much energy a normal, do you take measurements? Yep, exactly. So we had power meters attached to, uh, we, had, we had a control solar panel and uh, like our solar panel. Um, How much more efficient was that first? So first in, in in New Jersey, um, in October, our panel was producing forty percent more power. Wow, that's so. New Jersey's solar is better where the sun is more direct, sort of on the equator. Yeah, and so but, the, but New Jersey's like, so that's pretty impressive. So these were suboptimal conditions with just off-the-shelf components, uh, and we're able to show a forty percent increase. So it was really just a proof of concept to show that this can work. So your thesis, you proved your thesis. You, you knew you were probably gonna be onto something. You got some proof. You come back to the next year business competition with some numbers. Yeah, so not, not just numbers, but in that time period, uh, we uh, also had, uh, we brought on another team member who uh, was all, so the three of us were all physics, uh, or. Like, I was physics and finance, uh, my co-founder Nick, he was uh, physics and philosophy, uh, and then Cody, who was also uh, physics. We all kind of got together, uh, and we, we met with a lot of different industry uh, experts, analysts, uh, we attended conferences. So we really started to, to, to ramp up like the conversations that we were having to really understand the space uh, much more in depth. So you're going to solar conferences? Yeah. And you're seeing companies, big companies like NRG, yep. uh, battery companies, every, every you know, marketing guys, every, every aspect of the probably solar industry. And uh, like, were, were people shooting you down there? Were you, were, or, you know, how, how is that? 
You know, we kind of played, uh, uh, we held our, our cards close to our chest. Yeah, so you're, you're we're students. Yeah, we're, we're um, <laughs> I, I think in the early days, I was very hesitant with like, who I shared my ideas with just because I'm like, oh no, everyone's gonna steal like my ideas. Um, but with some of the early conversations we had, we got uh, good feedback. Uh, we got mixed feedback from some individuals, but for the most part, it was enough for us to really uh, keep going and start running with our idea. Yeah. You were like, if there was a panel that produced 40% more efficiency, you don't have to actually say what it does. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you got, you got confidence from this. And now this is, you go back to the pitch competition or is this already after the, the Yeah, so, so then we go back to the competition um, and uh, like with all of the, the new data, all the new relationships, uh, insights, everything that we have. And um, my team and I, the, we just kind of put together a really solid presentation um, with a really strong business case and, you know, even like environmental case. And uh, yeah, we got to walk away with the, the prize. See, I got it. What, 12 yeah. grand, 50 grand. So uh, our team, uh, so first place was 30,000. That's, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, so had you invested capital at this point or were you just like minimal? It was just out of pocket. Like, but were you doing significant investment or was it just like laboratory, you know, not too heavy? Um, I mean, it was just buying like, different, like equipment here and there. So not uh, like serious. No. It, how much? It, how much did you say you spent over those two years on this project? A couple thousand dollars, maybe. Like yeah, okay. So not like you're not going at it like throwing a lot of money. You're taking your time and and, and just figuring things out in in a, yeah in a in an inexpensive yeah. way. Yeah, we actually did get some money from friends and family. Yeah. Um, was this after the pitch competition? No, this was before it. In yeah. In order to kind of prove it out, and then after the competition, we ended up paying them back. Cool. Um, and then it was at that time that. We kind of realized with the changing um, you know, market situation with solar and all the different policies that were up in the air, we just felt like it wasn't a, a good time for us as like recent college graduates to pursue yeah. um, our technology. So um, we ended up just deciding to put it on the back burner, like put it on the shelf. We could return to it in a number of years when we felt like we had more resources and uh, an experience and yeah and so then that was kind of uh, what came out of it but then it really really kind of like caught this bug of entrepreneurship and just really realized that like wow this is this is what I love doing I love I, I think for me it's the process of creation of creating something new and like when you when you make something and you see it in front of you you realize like wow this has never existed in like the entire history of humanity like right. this thing that you've built has never existed before so why i i know i know you said you, you you got discouraged but why didn't you try and go and just like set like to a bigger company that does solar installations and and try to get them to purchase your technology get a quick return at least if you're willing to you know give up on it yeah uh i don't know uh, it, i like applied for a few of those positions and i just felt like it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. Um, I, I yeah, I, I don't know. It's kind of hard hard for me to like to pin it down exactly. Uh huh. Oh, this one. Okay, so you shelf you shelf the solar idea. Yeah. And this get, this brings a, you're feeling the market's going to be difficult. Um, and uh, so where does this 
lead us next? So then after that, I uh, I got at a few different gigs, but I predominantly was teaching at a uh, a private school in Princeton called the Fusion Academy. Okay. And a uh, private middle school and high school that that focuses on one-on-one -on -one teaching. So you get a, a variety of of uh, students, some who have you know emotional disabilities and need more care, while others. Should we should we just walk through here? Because it's kind of loud. Okay. It's problem solved. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we really got a, a range of students, but um, it was it was great. I mean, I got to teach uh, some of the subjects that I love, like physics and economics and math. And um, I had two like Olympic caliber athletes who just needed more time to train. Yeah. And um, it was just got to got to work with some really great people. My students were all fantastic. Um, but then while I was there, I kind of had this idea for another company, an ed tech. Um, that originally was sparked in college and it resurfaced uh, a few years down the line. So what was the idea in college? Like, yeah. so th this is, um, by the way, I want to show everyone. This is Stuyvesant High School right here, which, are you familiar with it? I'm not. So it's the preeminent science and math high school okay. um, in the city. I got into this, uh, it was like a really difficult test that like my parents paid for a tutor to like get me, but like, uh, this is there's a lot of really cool stuff happening at really smart high school kids. Yeah. Anyways, sorry for the sidetrack. No problem. So the what was the idea? So while I was in college, because I double majored, I had a really uh, strict schedule. Like for the next four years, I need to take all these classes. I need to overload these semesters. I need to take summer classes, winter classes. So you were hard, really going like crazy at school. Like so you were super passionate about things, and you were definitely seeing like how just how much what your limits were yeah I, I really I I think the best way to phrase that is I really just found my like love for learning uh, like I wasn't a great student in high school actually a pretty poor student in high school so the school that I went to was like even a reach for me um, and when I was in college I really started to hit my stride when it came to like academics and uh, just learning in general well, I think if you find the courses that you love, or at least you drop the ones that you hate and have no shame about that and just free up some time to focus, you know, it's a, it's a great process where you can uh, try things out and hopefully yeah. pivot, you know, yeah. quickly. Yeah. So then, so while I was in school, um, there were some classes that I really wanted to take just for the, the joy and the sake of learning. There there's subjects that really fascinated me. One was in entrepreneurship, which I mean, I, like, uh, was, was what I felt like really uh, relevant to me. You wanna go this way? This sure. is wind. Um, so there's a class in entrepreneurship and then also um, a class in particle physics, which was only offered every two years. And um, it was just another field that I was really interested in. And so, um, I wanted to take these classes, but I couldn't get into them because of scheduling conflicts. You know, I had mandatory classes that happened during those hours that I had to take. And to me, I just, it was so upsetting knowing that like, the, like, I, would, I wouldn't be able to get to learn from these professors who uh, I thought were fantastic professors. And when I thought about it, I was like, why doesn't the university, you know, do something about this? Why don't they capture these lectures? Like, they should make them available to students who, uh, like are motivated and want to learn like to me it just was like a no-brainer why well, not so, so why doesn't the university say uh, we have a business model you pay the money you get to take the course otherwise uh, you know sorry yeah I mean I, I think for the most part 
Um, for the most part, universities are really in the, in the they, they have a few different components, but I, I think they're in the business of accreditation uh, and not necessarily in just teaching. Um, if you want to get a degree or a certificate from a university, then like you need to pay for it. But if you just want to learn, then, it, then um, it, it doesn't conflict with the university's uh, like motives and agenda, especially if you're, if you're already a student there. Yeah. Okay, so you have this idea, you want to record lectures. Yeah. And what did you do about it? So then, uh, I guess about three years after, two years, yeah, about two years after I graduated college, um, while, like while I was teaching, I kind of came up with some kind of like blueprints, mock-ups. I was just thinking about this whole idea of of recording and sharing lectures, and it initially started as like like a student uh, student-based app that was just like a like a note-taking tool that students can use to record their lectures, and then like it would also share like. Did, did you actually do this app? No, so I just kind of like created like wireframes for it, like wrote white papers trying to outline all of my different thoughts and ideas. Um, and little by little, and little by little, it kind of morphed into the like into what it like what it will ultimately become. And um, so during during the, the process of uh, so I, I was at, I was teaching for about a year. Uh, around in, in December, I ultimately decided to uh, that December was going to be my last month teaching and. I didn't know what was on the horizon. I didn't. I actually had a few different opportunities, um, and then I went to this conference in um, uh, Las Vegas called the Consumer Electronics Show. Sure. So, CES. A yeah. number of companies on this podcast have won CES. Oh wow! Yeah. So I went to it in 2017, and uh, there is a whole summit on education technology. And this is like when I was like full, like brand new to the space. Uh, really trying to just learn as much as I could, and I got to hear, you know, some of the uh, uh, like the founders from some of the biggest ed tech companies out there talk about. And what is, name some name some names of these big ed tech companies? Uh, I think Two U was one of them. Uh, there's people from like MIT, uh, edX, sorry, Coursera. Um, there are representatives from like Google and a few other like research companies. Um, so there's a whole there's a whole range of. Uh, experts in that field and it was just awesome to hear what they had to say what they thought about the future of of uh, education and we're getting, we're going for it and it was while I was there that I really kind of had this like spark of like creativity for like what my role was going to be in in education okay yeah. Tell me more. Tell me what the spark is and what will your role sure. be? So what I, what I really realized while I was there is like online courses at this point were like uh, really like hyped up. 2017, like MOOCs were super popular. And uh, what a MOOC? MOOC, yeah. So Massive Open Online Course. Uh, massive, so, oh, tell, can you unpack that for me? Sure. So Massive Open Online Course is... Uh, uh, something like you would find on Coursera, edX, Udemy, Udacity. Basically, um, uh, uh, a university or a course offered for a credit that's open to uh, the public through the internet. So it can be massive, uh, online, anybody can take it, and they're really designed for scale. So anybody anywhere can learn from them. Sure. And what's the what's that famous one that, that we're missing? Um, 
the, the, the online, you know, it's a YouTube videos. Uh, Open Courseware? No, it's that you the have Khan to, Academy. That's what I'm talking about. Khan Academy. Yep. Yeah. So Khan Academy uh, is in a slightly different bracket because actually, I don't know. They, they might have changed. Um, they're doing some great stuff, though. But anyway, so while I was at CES, I, I really began to um, the, the thought that I had while I was there is you know, we're, we're gathering in this location or right? we're listening to um, some of the biggest believers in uh, online education, right? They're talking about online certificates and degrees and all this. But what I couldn't, what I couldn't get um, past was like if you took a step back from the whole conference, um, what you would realize is that we were in a, a traditional like classroom environment. We had a professor who was on stage giving a lecture to, you know, a class of 500. And I was really beginning, beginning to question, I was like, if the, if the biggest advocates for online education don't fully embody the, like, the ramifications of their technology, like, like, why is this conference even gathering together? Why don't we have this as a distributed, like, talk? Why don't they just record their, 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 um, keynotes in advance and just put them online and just have people like listen to them. what is the purpose of us gathering together um, and so that really began I started kind of questioning like well what is the limit to there we go go through the door So I began questioning, like, well, what is the, like the, the limit of like online learning, and, um, and and so one of the things that I realized is, like, what is what would what would the people feel like if if somebody just recorded a talk and just sent it out to everybody? Like, what benefit does physically being in person have? And, and what I realized is that, um, like. Being in person is uh, shows mutual sacrifice. People on both like sides have sacrificed time uh, and resources to be there, and with that sacrifice, you can build trust in a relationship. Interesting and so, insight. And it's, and it's it's through that like kind of relationship that you create based on trust, like through sacrifice, that um, you begin to uh, like you 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 open yourself to the ideas uh, and the message that the other person has. And so, um, I, so then what I realized is like one of the most important aspects of, of education is relationship and leadership. It's like the, the people who you're closest to end up like teaching you the most, like your parents, your friends, your family. Um, and so then when I started thinking about education technology, I, I started to think like, you know, ed, ed tech should be the means by which we empower great educators everywhere and, and so what i was seeing is with like a lot of online course platforms is uh it, it tended to consolidate academic leadership and now what that means is um a lot of the online courses require like tons of equipment and tons of resources in order to produce a high quality course and and um there there's uh, a number of uh academics have researched the subject and they cost up to like 300 $400,000 and so only the most like well-off schools had the money to you know create or to have these like million-dollar production and, studios and probably not the College of New Jersey where you went sure yeah exactly and so so like a smaller school like maybe they could record one or two of their lectures but they did not have the capacity to record all of them and 
when I, I started kind of pulling these different pieces together, um, what I realized is that like what we should be creating is some sort of platform that kind of levels the playing field for um, professors and for academics, like where where you can you can um, where professors are, are rewarded for their commitment to education, uh, independent of you know the university that they come from, um, and that's like ultimately what we decided to pursue. And we have like a lot of cool technology that really enables users to find the information that's most relevant to them um, in a way that's you know fundamentally different than the way online courses are structured. So like rather than than signing up or enrolling in a course and and uh, for you know 12 weeks or whatever uh, with our platform you just go in and you learn those bits and pieces of information that that you uh, need or are most relevant to you okay so break break it down for me um, do you have an app um, so we have a web app okay um, it's a progressive web app if you're familiar with those PWAs you can download them onto your phone uh, so you'd go to our website you'd go to the application and you just choose add to home screen and it, it looks and feels just like an app uh, Google has been been a big uh, kind of supporter of of these progressive web apps we're hoping Apple kind of follows suit we're not holding our breath though okay so <laughs> when I when I go into your app yeah what do I see you go into our application, there's a bunch of courses from OpenCourseWare. So OpenCourseWare was this movement started by MIT and I believe Harvard, uh, but it was basically to share, to democratize educational content. Okay, so um, what you could do with OpenCourseWare is anybody can go and get lectures for free from MIT? Yep, basically. Okay. Um, and so we aggregated a bunch of that content onto our platform to then demonstrate our technology. And so- Good move. So then uh, what our technology does is um, we not only transcribe uh, and process the, the, the text with like natural language processing and machine learning, um, but we also have a crowdsource model where users can label specific segments within the lecture uh, with like a set of keywords or a phrase. So like sort of like SoundCloud. Are you... I'm familiar with SoundCloud. So like that, that uh, where you can comment. Yeah. Yeah. So it's think of like commenting, but then having like a start and end time and then that piece of uh, that like segment uh, or that clip becomes searchable by everybody else so now did you build the app yourself yes just you yeah so so uh, about two and a half yeah two years after I graduated college I had the idea for this and I was thinking you know I could try and find somebody to code this for me uh, or I can learn how to code myself and build out like an MVP and that's what I ended up doing I, I, with my background in, uh, in like physics and math, I've taken some coding classes, so I knew enough not to be afraid, um, but it was like a six month process of, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week of just like reading textbooks and coding. And now like, what'd you build it in? Uh, so I used the uh, full stack JavaScript, so mean, uh, express, angular, node. Node, baby. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, some days I felt like, oh, I actually understand this stuff, this is great, like I know what I'm doing, and then other days I'm like, I literally know nothing. Yeah. And I had to go back to the drawing board and just like start over and... Um, now, wait, Stack Overflow is your friend. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I, it was Stack Overflow and, um, and PDFs. Yeah. It just, for me, it's, it's what worked. I, I like being able to see 
um, you know, 10 minutes worth of content all at once and, and kind of uh, be able to scan and quickly jump around. Um, so for me, it's just like what worked best. So you get a, you get a fundamental idea of how to prototype an MVP. And for those of you just learning, yeah. MVP means minimum viable product. And the idea, the concept is lots of engineers love to engineer, um, but an entrepreneur uh, needs a proof of their concept. So instead of spending a decade writing a whole thesis and coding it till it's perfect, the market will probably pass you by. So minimum gets you the minimum amount of work necessary to demonstrate your proof. Exactly. So in doing your MVP, um, you learn the ba full stack basics. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. Thanks. But, but the machine learning natural language processing is a, is a, is a really different field. Like, did you, how, how did you start going about some of those problems? Yeah, so to me, that's actually the exciting stuff because I really like working with like the, the uh, more algorithmic programming. Um, the, the programming that requires, you know, more like technical, like mathematical background. Um, so uh, for that, I mean, there's there's so many great resources out there, like the reality of it. And like, again, just in university studying, um, like having a strong background in mathematics just really gave me a good framework for, for approaching and tackling this problem. There's still so much independent learning that I had to do, but it just gave me this foundation that I could build off of. Um, I had a, a good friend of mine, David, who was also a, uh, a data scientist, yeah. does like machine learning work. And so he was like my mentor in this process. And well, that's really cool that you, um, you're, not, you're not an island. So you've got, yeah. you've got some, a little bit of momentum there. Yeah, and, and an important thing to know is while I was uh, building out the MVP, um, uh, my now co-founder was actually one of my coaches. Oh, so you have a co-founder. Yeah. So tell me about him, what's his name? Matthew, so Matthew Rodriguez, he, um, so he also has a background in physics. He has a master's from University of Michigan in applied physics. Um, and we really just connected on uh, a broad range of uh, things that we were interested in, uh, whether it was like metaphysics and talking about the universe and all these different subjects. You know, we kind of went across the board and we realized we just started to connect. We were both incredibly open-minded uh, and we just love talking about really, you know, like deep, more fundamental things. So this is a really important theme. Um, you can do cold co-founder uh, scenarios, not, not always good. And there's a really great service for that, it's called Co-Founder Lab. I think it's still operational online only. And the really cool thing about that is you can sort of search, you know, these are my skills, I'm looking for somebody with sort of opposite skills. Now, in your case, you did it the organic way, mm -hmm. which is you knew Matthew, and yep. you had a history, and then you probably said, I'm working on this really cool thing, you wanna work on it with me? Yeah, or so, you sold him, you pitched him. Um, so we, uh, so at the time I had, um, uh, it, was, it was me and another guy, Brett. Uh, so Brett and I, uh, we worked together from the, like the day one, basically. Like I had this idea, I was like, I need somebody who can kind of help execute this with me. But he's the I'll, data science guy. So it's not the data science oh, guy. Oh, another guy. He's more business development. So my, my friend Dave, who does data science, um, he's always kind of just, he's been a good friend of mine for, for years. And so he's kind of just like coached or mentored me uh, in that space. Um, but when it comes to the actual business of Knowledgen, um, at the time we were called Podium, or Podium EDU, but uh, it was Brett and I who started kind of working on this together, where 
Um, uh, uh, Brett was really kind of the, the network uh, creator. He, he, he had uh, just incredible like relationships with so many different people and uh, he was just able to create like the, these, uh, uh, bring in these different people. Matthew was one of the, the individuals that he knew well and so he kind of created, the, he just uh, brought him in for a meeting and um, this was before I, I had any like coding done. I was just like talking. I was like, my head was in the clouds. I was like, oh yeah, this is what we're gonna do. It's gonna be awesome. I'm at being a, a seasoned developer. He was like, oh yeah, that's like great. But knowing how much work yeah. is actually involved. Indeed. Um, and he was he was actually really kind about it because he didn't he didn't discourage me. He didn't dissuade me. He was like, yeah, sure. You know, I think I can meet up like maybe once a week, maybe once every two weeks. Right. So you start a loose collaboration. Exactly. And now, so here's a question I've got. Um, do you have agreements in place, equity agreements? So this was just, we're kind of working on a project. Um, I was the only one who was full time on it. And it was just like, so yeah. So it was understood that, um, or, or well, I, I, I won't go there, but. Sure. Um, and now you say you have a co-founder. Yeah. So do you have an agreement with him? Yeah, and so it, it took almost uh, uh, a year and a half after we started. Um, so Brett ultimately decided like, pursuing the edtech startup wasn't for him. Sure. Uh, and that uh, he, he ended up getting into software development too, which is awesome. Um, oh man. But uh, um, so it ended up being uh, me and Matt kind of pursuing this. And so you guys were sort of the two lone, lone guys uh, still, still burning the fire exactly. on this. Yeah, and so um, we ended up filing for a corporation uh, about a year and a half after I started. Uh, under the name Knowledgen. So uh, it's a concatenation of Knowledgen Engine because that's what we felt like we were building, or what we feel like we are building. Um, and so that's what we ended up going with. Yeah. And uh, so so today, what would you, who would you describe your team today? So it's still both Matthew and myself. Um, we're the two uh, co-founders, we're both full-time. We have uh, you know a group of advisors and uh, business professionals who are really guiding us through this process. Yeah, we're 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 looking to raise our seed capital right now. And what uh, would you do with the capital? What do you feel, or what what do you feel is your uh, a problem that money will solve? Yeah, that um, that you cannot solve without money. Yeah, um, I mean we need to bring more people onto our team and hire them in like uh, a, a full time capacity. So just... so which air, which are the areas? Are we talking sales? Are we talking marketing? Do you need more dev? Do you need you know what what areas uh, yeah. do you think are the most important so, for you right now? Uh, definitely software development and DevOps. Yeah. Uh, development operations. So everything that has to do with like infrastructure and scaling. Uh, we're all like cloud based, but you still need somebody who really understands that space in order to. Okay. Here's, I want to go in a different direction. Sure. Let's put that on, a thread on pause for a sec. Um, what are we talking about traction? So where are you, um, you know, putting this, this uh, framework you have into practice? Yeah, so um, we're, we're still early stage. Uh, we spent the, the two years really building like a robust product. So in education technology, uh, or ed tech in that space, it's it's really hard to bring a like an MVP to market. You really need something that's like substantial and that solves um, like uh, significant needs of of your your clients. And in our case, those are universities. And so it took us. So you're trying to do a business to business idea. Um, 
I, having a business to you be to you idea. I, I guess I mean <laughs> we're, we really see ourselves as this platform company that facilitates the exchange of information from the university to the public. So, do you just want to do a better Blackboard? Um, sort of. So Blackboard is a uh, learning management system that sells their service to the university. What, what we want to kind of uh, encourage is a more like public-facing model. Rather than selling our services to the university, we want to encourage the university to share their content to the public. Which is a and, sort of disruptive idea. Yeah, I mean, I'm hesitant to say that. I'll let the market decide whether sure. it's disruptive or not. Um, but I, th I think it can bring about uh, material and important change to so, the space. But to, to, to get back to it, um, tell me, like, where is the rubber meeting the road? Yes. Like, where, are you going to universities? Like, did you go to professors? Yeah. Did you, did you want to try to make an end render around the administration yeah. and just try to get professors on board to the point where professors are like, this thing is great. And then, or do you go right to the front door and say, please, may we, uh, may we, would you like to use this? Yeah. So we've tried basically a whole mix of that. Yeah. So initially we were, we're just targeting professors and uh, some of my old or former professors uh, have been using this in their classroom, which is which, great. Right. So you, so, you know, that, that's a great use of a relationship right there. Um, so, so that's great. Yeah. And then uh, as we started bringing on, um, uh, you know, advisors from academia, uh, we started creating relationships with uh, institutions. And so we, we uh, uh, met with Fordham University, the, the uh, uh, instructional design staff, or basically they're in charge of choosing what kind of technology the university uses. And so we presented to them, we showed them what our technology can do. Uh, we showed them how, like, the use case for, for them and their students and to, like, their, their broader community. And they decided that, hey, this is worth it for us and we're going to go ahead with it. And so Fordham has kind of been our first um, yes that we've gotten from a university. And it's and exciting. When, when was that? That was in December. So, so very, like, a month ago. Yeah. That's, re that's really cool because, to me, December is, like, when Christmas is happening, business is winding down. Uh, so that's really cool that you could... Um, that you could get it at that time of year. Yeah, so it's exciting. We're, we're working on uh, creating partnerships with a few other institutions. Most of them are in the Northeast, um, but we're really looking to to ramp up that process. Well, there are 4,000 approximately universities in the country. Yeah. If you can prove your model with with one case, you have a, shot, a much easier time of proving your model with the second case. Exactly. As opposed to having zero customers. Um, and uh, I actually met somebody the same night as you um, who's doing a totally different thing and his primary problem was um, he's like I'm the only sales guy uh, and he has three universities signed up but uh, getting getting to scale you know is yeah. is key yeah and that that's really like so part of like the, the funding that we're looking to receive is gonna go to uh, helping us scale. So, what about us hiring sales. a sales guy, to, yeah. or, or or the DevOps guy frees up your time to then go to? Are, 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 who's the sales guy? Uh, who's, uh, I am. Okay, yeah. so the DevOps might free up your time to go travel around the country, mm -hmm. or go to conferences, or um, and uh, start signing up other schools. Yeah. So, or uh, hopefully somebody on this podcast is a listener, is a uh, university. Um, you, like a faculty, a administrator, professor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so like our, our main thesis in Knowlegen uh, is that we feel like academic lectures are this underutilized resource. Uh -huh. like, 
Um, you know, they contain the thoughts, the ideas of some of the brightest people in the world. And what we want to do is we want to apply, we think that we can apply it to a broad spectrum of problems, of uh, like they can, like have a broad range of applications. And we really want to kind of change the way that the world looks at like lectures because I, I, they're just, they're 90 minute like, like expertly crafted speeches is the way that I see them. Yeah. And I, I think there's just so much value in them that we're, we're really just kind of beginning to scratch the surface of what like uh, can be uh, learned or how, like how those, those can be applied. Christian, talk to me ab about, talk to me Christian about raising capital. What are you doing? Who are you pitching? Yeah. Uh, are you getting discouraged? Are you getting encouraged? Yeah, um, so, so far the feedback has actually been very encouraging. Um, we met with uh, uh, two investors who aren't actively investing in this space, but they are uh, uh, seasoned investors, so it's been- Now in the tech space? Uh, I believe so, yeah. They, Have you ever heard the term dumb money? Yes. And describe it for me. Uh, I would say dumb money is somebody who's willing to give you um, money for your startup, your project, whatever, um, who doesn't quite understand your space exactly. and isn't going to be uh, providing like consistent advice on what you should do. Yeah, so maybe a you know, banana or a tobacco investor who's got millions of dollars, they could give you the money, yeah. uh, but they might not really understand that you don't need any more engineering at this point. What you need to be doing is going out and selling. Yep. And you know, um, there's something I call rabbit hole syndrome. Okay. Which, and I've suffered from it a lot in, in my coding days, which is I would code up these fantastic solutions going all the way down to like the assembly code level uh, and waste waste time or, or code up an entire idea. I did, I did something for four months. I coded up this like hybrid between Facebook and the Thump app. Okay. Uh, and, and then the Thump app just closed down and got acquired. So, that, so anyway, I wasted four months on that. Yeah. And it was like, I thought it'd be cool, but anyway, rabbit hole syndrome. Yes. Whereas getting out there, validating, yep. and, and often in the process of validating, you know, you're going to learn so much um, yeah. that, you know, it, it saves you time so that you have to get this like resounding, I need that, you know, yep. begging for it. Yeah. So that's, and then it's time to execute when exactly. they're literally begging for it. Yeah. And it, that's, it's, can, let me just. Sure, sure. Continue. So, so this, the app that this um, podcast is streaming on is called Anchor. And I suspect that some of their process are literally done by humans. Because when my Anchor uh, first got approved, it was on the Apple store. And, and it wasn't inside of the app. The app didn't know. I, I wrote them a bug report and they go, oh, our bad, we forgot to paste it. Yeah, that thing is crazy. <laughs> so I think a lot of the processes in Anchor are, are still uh, human done. Yeah. Uh, for, for the time, I'm sure that they're, 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 they're gonna um, yeah. scale that. But anyway, so, so end, end of topic. So Sam Altman from Y Combinator, uh, uh, he says, like, do things that don't scale. Like when you first start out, don't worry about how to make your infrastructure like or make your app like super efficient. It's like do things that don't scale. Go out there, prove your prove your idea, show that people actually want it, and do it manually if you have to. Then once you understand that process, you can think about how are you going to automate it. Exactly. 
and and you're lo you're looking for that that that's demand. Yeah. And when you find demand, then it's sort of time to to start managing that. Yeah, and that's and then when when you've really kind of hit that pain point and and when your customers are saying like this is something that we need, that's when you know you've made uh, or you achieved product market fit. Right. When your customers are angry, as unfortunate as it is, it's a it's a good problem to have because then you know that your job is to make them less angry. Yeah. And, and having customers yeah. is a really good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so tell me more about uh, your, your raising capital. Like, yeah. uh, you've, you, you've seen two investors total? Yeah, uh, two investors uh, working on a third one. Um, Why not work on a thousand more? Yeah, um, so I, like being uh, a, a developer, I really liked sitting behind the computer. Yeah. Uh, and I, I kind of had this belief that you can solve the world's biggest problems from just a keyboard. Uh -huh. um, but um, what I'm realizing is that not all problems are technical problems. Exactly. And that, uh, like even this week alone, I'm really beginning to see the value in just getting out there, meeting people, like connecting, um, creating these relationships because you just don't know what's going to come out of them, and you and you have to, you just have to get out there and start talking to people and making those relationships. So another way I like to describe it, when the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail, yeah. and that tool is code, but... Um, it is a pretty versatile hammer. Yeah, <laughs> it is a versatile hammer, but not everything you know, is a nail, and you're, you're, you're starting to tap into you know, the, the, the roadblock here. Mm -hmm. um, so, tell, so, what, so what are your... Where do you see yourself in six months? What are your goals yeah, for, for the startup? So we, we want to uh, really create those partnerships with universities. And, I mean, we, we feel like we're aligned with the mission, with, with the mission of not only the universities, but the professors. And we're trying to, um, from a business side, validate those assumptions. And we, you know, we have a really robust uh, MVP. I mean, it's probably even beyond MVP at this point. Um, and um, so we, we, we feel like our technological risk is uh, more or less controlled, but yeah. we have a lot of market risk. Indeed. And that's what we need capital in order to prove over the next uh, six to nine months. So we really want to reduce this market risk. And the way that we do that is by partnering with universities, showing that universities actually want what we have to offer and that they're willing to you know, share their content and that we can also benefit them in the process. Now, what, is your co what role does your co-founder play? Oh, so he, he's a software developer. He, yeah. he, so he's been the one, like I said, who coached me early on and then about nine months after uh, our, like, we, we started like, uh, becoming friends, uh, I, I invited him to, to work full time. I, I, and then at that time, he also moved in with me. Yeah. So, um, Matt and I have been living together for, I guess, over over a year, year and a half now. So we live together, we work together. Um, we're running this company together and it's just been awesome. I think, I think that you've got enough tech yeah. and I think you're, you need to sell. Yeah. So whether you take that money to hire an engineer um, to free up your time or, or hire a sales guy. Yeah. So another startup that, um, I'm uh, having on this, they're in the job space and they're, they're week, weeks away from, maybe even months away, but uh, they, I don't know what their tech solution is. Um, the, the, the CEO is a real operator, 
uh, started lots of businesses. Um, and he hired a sales guy. He found a guy to like literally leave, he has three kids, the sales guy, literally leave his job from IBM and come help them sell. Uh, so that's an idea for yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's like exactly what we need. Um, I mean, I, I really love, uh, uh, or I'm beginning to love, or, or just realizing that like connecting with academics and professors, just like, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, so um, you're good at it. So I enjoy it, yeah, and but it would be awesome to have somebody to like, come alongside me and, and like just like help ramp that that up. Um, because I mean, being one person, you can't like there, there's too much to, to manage. Yeah, I think this is really good because you're really early in your journey. You've, yeah, you've done amazing strides in learning how to code yourself, realizing you had the skills to do that, um, doing it. And now you're at a place where you're confident enough in your technology. And I think the key is, is really giving a go at it and seeing, like, seeing, like you've got one, one customer. Yeah. Uh, and seeing how do you get the next customer, you know, start crawling. And yep. then um, if you're not scaling, figuring out, you know, what's the what's blocking you on that? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's what we needed. Yeah, um, it's exciting. Yeah, I definitely want you back on the podcast, maybe in a year or two. Okay. It's either going to sink or swim. Yeah. And I would love to sort of have an update from you. Um, you've definitely invested a lot, so I would say. Uh, figure out a way to make it work yeah and don't give up easily I won't good because um, you put this much into it and you believe in it I can feel it so uh, it, it, it may not take it may there may be something apparent to you that that that's not your vision right the, the market might be saying we think you're really passionate. We think you're really awesome. You're, the, the vision you've coded up is awesome. But maybe, you know, like listen to what people are, are, are saying with feedback and yeah. maybe there's some way you can pivot, you know, to, to make things to take off faster and like be flexible. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much for coming on, Christian. Yeah, it's been awesome. And I can't wait to see how this, how, how knowledge in, uh, comes along. I can't wait to, Go download some lectures, yeah. And um, to, so, so tell tell us uh, what can we get on knowledge in right now? Um, so we have tons of content in entrepreneurship, business, finance, astronomy, history, um, and then we also have some curated playlists, uh, basically just lecture clips um, on specific topics that we've found useful ourselves. So like, like uh, how do you div divvy up equity in a startup? Uh, right. Things to think about when scaling or when pivoting. Um, and so you can go check it out uh, on our website, knowledgein.com. So knowledge, um, and then drop the E at the end, I-N-E. So knowledgeengine.com. Uh, yeah, it's free to sign up. Um, you don't even have to sign up to access content. So um, yeah, in, and I'd also love to hear your thoughts. You can send me an email. Um, you can find my contact info on the website. Cool.
So thank you so much, and I can't wait to see how this develops. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.